That was very creative. I don't know how you guys came up with that idea. <laughs> well, it is unique that we have two sets of identical twins um, married to staff members on our church. But it's unique in our church that we have a number of identical twins and twins. So if you are a twin, would you stand up for a second? And not all of our twins are here today. And how about our identical, okay, if, you're, if you are a twin but not an identical twin, would you sit down? And now we see our identical twins still remaining. So anyway, I thought that'd be fun for us to see them. Janice, thanks for standing up there. What a great uh, opportunity, to, especially as we think about this particular passage of Scripture that is indeed dealing with twins. We're going to be looking at Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, but before we go there, Happy Father's Day to all of you guys. I hope it has already started off to be a fun day for you. It's a pretty good day for Morris Barnado because he's going to be going to the Astros game. Uh, congratulations, Morris. I hope you have a great time taking your family there. Fatherhood, Bill Calloway talks about some tips that he has given for dads. And then he said, Never loan money to anyone you've helped birth. In case of fire, exit the building with your family before tweeting about it. Tip number three, remember that whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and of good repute is seldom on television. Number four, never say in an argument, well, if it makes you feel better, I'll pretend to be wrong. And then number five, Last one he gives us, he says, they say love doesn't last, but neither does deodorant, so put them both on every single day. <laughs> Hope you guys will do that. And I want to give a, just a special shout out to my father-in-law who's watching online over in Dickinson with uh, Michelle and our Mimi. Uh, Mimi is in the, the closing days of her life before she steps into eternity. She's on hospice over there, and so Michelle is over there with her. And uh, we give a shout out to you guys today, praying for you. Uh, Cindy Gibson, thank you for filling in for Michelle. You have a beautiful job on the piano. Well, as we turn to Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, we're going to see a couple of things that really stand out to all of us that apply to every one of our lives. And the first one is this, that fools calculate without God, and it shows. Fools calculate without God, and it shows. Listen again. Uh, to what Renee and Trish both read. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. When we think of the word fool, what does that mean? Well, we think of someone that is just really kind of ignorant, but that's not the word here at all. You could be a fool and be incredibly educated. You could be brilliant. You could be very intelligent, but the word here, fool, is nabal. Very interesting, we have a word picture of that in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 25. Throughout that chapter in there, it talks about this man named Nabal. And he was a guy who had a very wealthy enterprise. And David, before he became king, he and his men were out in the field protecting Nabal and his men and all of his flocks. And David sent a message to Nabal and said, we were out there protecting, maybe you could give us a little something from all of your food and supplies and resources. And he sent back a message and said, there's way too many worthless men just like you that are out there doing nothing good. We don't have anything to do with you. 
And David was so angry that he told all of his men to put on their swords, we are going to completely wipe out Nabal's family. If you remember the rest of the story, his wife was Abigail. And Abigail was anything but a fool. She went out and she met David with all of these supplies for, for David and all of his men. And she said, Nabal is just like his name because Nabal means fool. And she spared her husband and the household of immediate destruct, destruction. She demonstrated such wisdom that when Nabal later died a week later of natural causes, providential causes, then David sought Abigail out, and she became his wife. To Nabal, David was irrelevant. He doesn't matter. I'll treat him however I want. And that's the picture of a fool. To say that God is irrelevant, I'll treat him however I want. It's called practical atheism. It's living as if God doesn't really exist. You're not denying that he's there. When we think of a fool says in his heart there is no God, we think of vile atheists, we think of people that rail against God, and yes, that applies. But really what's being said here is more the person that says there may be a God, may not, but I don't have any need for him. I am self-sufficient in who I am. That's like a pilot saying the weather is irrelevant to flying. I have a friend who tells me whenever I might ask if we can go flying, he will tell me, it's bad weather, so we're not going to go. He may be golfing, but he'll just tell me it's bad weather, so we're not going to go. Weather is relevant to flying, just as God is relevant to life. Now, we do talk about one of those staunch, outspoken atheists, Richard Dawkins. He is a, a very strong, outspoken British scientist and atheist. He's in his 80s now. You would almost think that he would maybe rethink his position. But in 2019, just to double down on what he believes, he wrote a book called Outgrowing God, as if wise people get to the point in which they outgrow their need for God. It's kind of like outgrowing your need for food and water. And he argues that we shouldn't believe in God in his book. Yet he makes this very interesting statement. Listen closely. This is a man who was arguing in a book that we shouldn't believe in God, and he says this, whether irrational or not, it does unfortunately seem plausible that if somebody sincerely believes God is watching every move, he might be more likely to be good. I must say I hate that idea. I want to believe that humans are better than that. I'd like to believe I'm honest whether anyone is watching or not. He admits that it seems as if people who say they believe in God actually behave better than those who don't. Would we not agree? And that's what David is saying, that when we are corrupt and when we are a fool and when we say God is irrelevant, it doesn't really matter what we do. Grandpa was railing against inflation. And he said, I recall in the good old days, my mom would send me to the store and she would have me buy eggs, milk, bread, meat, fruit, a magazine, and a new pair of jeans, all for one dollar. He then explained, you can't do that anymore with all of those security cameras. <laughs> See, fools calculate without God as part of the equation. 
It's let me figure out life and God is not part of the equation. Russian poet Ivan Jirjimbe, he said, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it's terrible. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells within me. And we push against that, believing that we are somehow good people. I look at you and I think, you guys look pretty good. But Paul was reminding us that because of the depravity of who we are, we are evil people. And when we reject God, we become even more evil. In a much earlier book, The Selfish Gene, written way back in 1976, toward the earlier part of his career, Richard Dawkins, uniquely addressed the centrality of selfishness in the world. He advocated in this book called The Selfish Gene, talking about the evolutionary process, he was stating that at the very core of evolution are selfish genes which use other organisms to their own advantage and for their own survival. They use others to survive. This is not a discussion on science. It's just an observation that a renowned atheist and scientist says that selfishness is baked into the very heart of life. That's what David is talking about. Someone that thinks God is irrelevant will in many ways live an irrelevant life, but they will be very costly to those people around them because of the way that they behave. Fools calculate without God, and it shows in our lives. God is aware of fools, even if they don't acknowledge him. We turn to verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind to see if there are any who understand and any who seek God. Interesting enough, one of the differences between Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 is in Psalm 14, he uses that Jehovah God, that that covenantal statement, that relational God. And in verse 53, he speaks from a more distant angle of being God, the God Almighty that we talked about last week. God is aware of fools, even if they don't acknowledge him. Even if Richard Dawkins doesn't acknowledge God, God is aware of him. In Psalm 12, verses 13 through 21, Jesus told the parable of the rich fool said that he enjoyed a tremendous windfall from a bumper crop. And he came up with an idea in which he would create bigger and better revenue streams for his life. He would build bigger barns so he could contain all of the surplus and he could enjoy it for himself. Sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry, for life is good. And it says in Luke 12, 20, that God called him a fool because he was saying God is irrelevant in life. See, even if someone doesn't acknowledge God, God is aware of them. He is looking down from heaven, and he sees every action of our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul was writing to those young Christians at Corinth, and he explained to them the way that God has called the things of this world that are foolish to be wise, and the things that seem wise are actually foolish. Back in the 1960s, when the Russian government was dictated by atheism, much like it is today, A cosmonaut returned from space, and he made this public statement that was circulated throughout the world. Some people say that God lives out there. I looked around, and I didn't see God out there. Billy Graham's wife responded to that by saying he was just looking in the wrong place. If he had stepped outside of his spaceship without his spacesuit, he would have seen God very quickly. (laughs) 
God is very aware of fools, even if they don't acknowledge God. And I pray that none of us would be fools, but we would recognize that God recognizes who we are. Fools will ultimately fail, but the righteous will ultimately prevail. We go to, 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 to Psalm 14, verses 3 and following, and Psalm 53 and following. It says, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. In 53, it says, everyone has turned away. See, Paul would utilize this particular passage of Scripture when he was writing Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, explaining the depravity of us all, that none of us seek God. We would like to think that we would, but none of us pursue God. God pursues us. And when we don't have God in our lives, when God becomes irrelevant, when we become fools, then our, our life without belief in God creates chaos because we become our own God. There's a whole book in the Bible that we talked about, even a portion of it during Vacation Bible School this week. The book of Judges, what does it say? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They were their own standard. What if all of us in this room established our own standard and we tried to live in, 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 in unity together? Would it work? If all of us were doing whatever we thought was right, with no moral compass, with no standard, with no guide, that's what, what David is talking about here. Do all these evildoers do nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord or God. And the word bread there is a daily occurrence. Now, I know that some of you like to tweet and do Facebook and post about what you eat. But posting about eating bread is, you're not going to get many likes or followers on that, are you? Because we all eat bread. Eating bread is no big deal. It's just a daily occurrence. And what David is saying it's just a daily occurrence for those who don't believe in God to abuse everyone else around them. Well, they might not be, quote, mean and nasty, but they're self-serving. And everybody is there like those selfish genes. Everybody else is there to just serve them. There they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers, evil you frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. I love that word refuge. Dozens of time in the book of Psalms. It's talking about God being that safe haven for anybody who leans upon him. And David is not saying that everything turns out just the way you want, just because you're righteous. But it says that God will be the refuge. It does say that the evildoers will take advantage of other people, but God is right there in their presence. Friends, I know some of you are facing very difficult times right now. May you know that God is right in the middle of that. Even if you don't feel it, our feelings don't dictate what is true. God is right there with you. And may you lean heavily into his presence to find the strength that you need. They're overwhelmed with dread, talking about those who reject God. What is dread? Dread is different than fear. You see, dread is less specific than fear. When you say, I'm afraid, what are you afraid of? Well, I don't know. Well, you do know, right? When you say, I'm scared, or I'm afraid, or I'm fearful, you have something that you're afraid of. But dread is just that overarching sense that something is not right. And that's what David is talking about here. Overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. With God, there is nothing to dread. If you're overcome with dread, surrender it over to the Lord. Remember what Peter would say, cast all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. 
It goes on to talk about those who rebelled against God and saying God scattered the bones. And this is going to 53, what Trish was reading. God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame for God despised them. He's saying that fools will ultimately fail. You may succeed as a fool all through life. You may die the wealthiest man in the world or woman. But that doesn't mean that you will ultimately prevail. Only the righteous will ultimately prevail. The picture that he talks about there, God scattered their bones, is a picture of Ezekiel 37 before the great miracle. It's a picture of an invading army coming in and conquering with conquest. And then just to add insult to injury, they don't bury the dead. They don't allow any of the survivors to bury the dead. In fact, they scatter the bones so they can't bury the dead. That's the picture here. C.S. Lewis would say, God's face will either be a delight or a terror, depending on how we have related to him in this life. And that's what David is saying. Don't be a fool. Don't say that God is irrelevant. Because ultimately, we will all stand before God and we will see his face. And his face will bring ultimate delight or ultimate terror based upon how we've related to him in life. On this Father's Day, I'm reminded of what Michael Youssef said. He made this statement about fatherhood. He said, if God is not the center of your family life, the inheritance you leave your children will be a curse, not a blessing. Isn't it interesting, dads, that we will leave one or the other? We will leave our kids with a curse or a blessing. And the only way that we will leave them a blessing, and some of us are are working so hard and we're trying to save diligently, we're trying to make sure that our kids are provided for, and that's great. We should. That's part of being a dad. But if that's all we leave them, it's a curse. Only if we leave them the legacy of believing that God is relevant and we must have a relationship with him, then do we leave them a blessing in their life. You see the whole idea of something being irrelevant, calling somebody a fool? What, What is a fool? A fool is someone that just overlooks the obvious. Let's take, for instance, with someone's money. Let's say somebody has their money and they completely squander all that they have and they become indigent. And we would say, what a fool, because they didn't make it a priority to live within their means. What if someone drinks themselves to death? And we say, what a fool. They, they didn't, they took their body and the health of their body as being irrelevant. What if somebody completely destroys their family just by anger or misbehaving? And we would say, what a fool. They missed the very obvious of being a good father and a good dad. That's what David is saying. Don't miss the obvious. Don't make God irrelevant in your life, ever. So what is our point of refreshment? Faithfulness to God brings rejoicing. If we will stay the course, one of the, one of the amazing things about Christianity, the perseverance of the saints, one of the great things that I talk about so oftentimes here, you've heard me say, is those who have walked the journey of faith, decade after decade after decade after decade, please don't stop coming. Because your presence here reminds us that the journey is worth the struggle. We need to be reminded of your faith. We need to be reminded that this is not all there is. That the ultimate prize is not to be found in this life. It'll be found when we stand before the Lord. Then we will prevail ultimately. And the fool will ultimately fail just as pointed out here. So faithfulness to God brings rejoicing. All of our rejoicing is summed up in what we will see in the future. Yes, we will rejoice in this life, but we will also be able to stand before God with total delight when we see his face. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. 
When the Lord God restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. What David was talking about is a time in the future. And what future was that? The word salvation in Hebrew that he uses here is Yeshua. Have you ever heard of that name before? Matthew 1, 21. His name will be called Yeshua, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is our point of rejoicing. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus to read Psalm 14? He had the Psalter. For him to read Psalm 14 and see his name, to be reminded of his calling, to be reminded of his purpose. Friends, we have something to rejoice in. Our faithfulness will ultimately bring rejoicing in our lives. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, it says, Christ is the one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Don't make that irrelevant. So I've got a real cheesy ending for you. You ready? Be a tool, not a fool. Be a tool, not a fool. Now, in more contemporary parlance, we might say, you probably didn't want to use that word because we all know what a tool is, right? A tool is that absolute jerk that always tries to make sure that everybody thinks he's more special than he is and he's always asking us if he can help you, if there's anything he can do for you because he can do anything. That's what we call a tool in contemporary slang. But I'm talking about a tool like a craftsman. I'm talking about something that can be put into the hand of God and that God can use you to help turn people away from their foolishness of thinking that God is irrelevant. See, we're not puppets. We have choices to make. And we can facilitate other people in helping to choose to not be a fool, but to follow after God. One of my favorite leadership sayings, and if you know where it came from, I'm going to start claiming it here in a few years because I can't find the source of it anywhere, but it is one of my absolute favorites when it comes to leadership and decision-making. Thinking a bad idea is a good idea is still a bad idea. I really think that should become our new national motto. I mean, we should, we should fly this over Washington, D.C. as often as we can. But we do that in our own lives as well. And I want to say to you, if any of you, and, and the, the Bible is the one who calls people fools that turn away from God. And I want to say to any of us, if you think it's a good idea to have a bad idea of not believing in God, it's still a bad idea. And I want to try to persuade you to have a good idea, and that's to recognize that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. But because of your sin, the bad ideas that you thought were good ideas, that has separated you from having a relationship with God. But thankfully, Jesus came to make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins to be changed for all of eternity, to completely surrender our life to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I want to call you to no longer be a fool. And for those of you that are Christians, is it not foolish if we are not sharing this good news with other people? Are we not fools ourselves in that we have made the gospel irrelevant for our friends and neighbors and family members by not sharing it? I think we too would be called fools because a fool is anyone that makes God irrelevant. 
So let's join together and let's pray. And then I'll lead us in a joint prayer in just a couple of minutes for our youth. God, we thank you for your word that reminds us of the gravity of having a relationship with you. We think of King David and all of his power and might and wisdom. And to say, if you don't believe in God, you're an absolute fool. You are missing the most obvious thing in life. God, I pray that none of us would leave this place as fools. But we would believe that the most significant thing we can do with our life is to make you the most significant thing in our life. I pray for friends that are listening online and in this room that have never received you as Lord and Savior. They would recognize today that we are not talking about just an add-on to life. They would see the absolute urgency, just the desperate need to receive you as Lord and Savior. That they would pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, for those of us that are professing believers in Jesus Christ, saying that we're not fools, Help us to take inventory of our lives and ask, how often am I making the gospel irrelevant by not sharing it with other people who they themselves have made God irrelevant? Make us a people, we pray, that look at others with compassion, with love. Give us a, a burning desire to see people, see people come to know you and for you to be, for them to have a relevant relationship with you. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. During our time of commitment, I would, I would like for us to have an opportunity to pray for our youth going off to youth camp. Uh, some of us are so old, we've kind of forgotten what youth camp is about. But were it not for youth camp, I wouldn't be standing here. Because it was a youth camp that I made a recommitment to Christ. I was so far off track, heading in the wrong direction with my life as a 15-year-old. And I came back and I found Christ. And he became relevant, really, for the first time in my life. And then two years later, I would be at youth camp, having no idea why God would think of such a crazy idea of me becoming a minister. I had no desire, no interest. My dad was a minister. That was not where I wanted to go. But because of that youth camp and what took place there, I made a commitment to go into ministry. I wouldn't become a pastor for another 10 years. But God had called me during that time. It's amazing the significance of what can happen at a youth camp. So we want to pray for our students that are going. So all of you students that are going to youth camp, if you would make your way down to the front, just kind of spread out, and our, and our uh, chaperones that are going to be going as well, pray for them. Uh, give them wisdom as well as a heavy dose of patience and tolerance to go with these kids. And you guys just spread out across here. We want to kind of pray for you just somewhat individually like, like we did for the graduates. And so we do know you guys need some help because you don't yet understand what spreading out means. Just spread out all the way across from that wall to this wall. This feels like the old days of the graduate Sundays. From that wall, there's a wall way over there and there's a wall way over there. All the way across. All the way across from wall to wall to wall. From that wall to that wall, spread out. There we go. 
Otherwise, people won't be able to get around you and pray individually. And now I'm just going to ask for you as a church family as we sing and worship this song, worship God through this song, that you would come up and just pray for them. You may or may not know this individual, but pray for them uh, for this week and what they're going to experience. And uh, then also, uh, if you feel like you've made a commitment during this time, you just take this communication card and put your name and phone number on there. Meet us at the, the uh, Connection Center out in the atrium or over at the cross. Our deacons will be standing at the end of each one of these aisles, our, our deacons for the month of June. And, and if we don't have enough for the month of June, just deacons, if you make sure someone's standing back there, even now as I'm speaking, that they would see you moving back there so they would know that someone is actually there if they decide to go back there. There we go. And uh, they want to pray with you. And so just... Be, know that they are available. So let's all stand together and let's worship and let's respond and pray for these. Come down here and pray for these now.
bless you. Have a great week.